Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I hope that you are feeling good this week. Um, and just a wee reminder again to sign up to Owning It Real Time if you want some more specific resources to help you move through anxiety right in the moment that it's happening for you. Today, I'm thrilled to be sharing an episode with the wonderful Stephanie Preisner. She's been on the series before. A lot has changed for her since we last spoke. She's become a mother. She was diagnosed with autism. Um, and here we talk about a lot of areas of anxiety really. We talk about her experience uh, postpartum, her experience on her journey to get pregnant and to to have her baby girl. Um, We talk about the anxiety around saying the wrong thing which is something I feel every day, the fear of of putting your foot in it um, and being being written off or cancelled is is a real real anxiety these days. There's a lot to discuss with Stephanie. If only I had 10 more hours to to keep chatting to her um, I think we probably still wouldn't have scratched the surface. Um, She's always very um interesting person to talk to and yeah I'm sure that this will be as helpful to you guys listening as it was to me I learned a lot um and you will probably hear my tone is a little bit a little bit on edge um because yeah I was a I was afraid to talk about the things that we talked about in case I got it wrong and Stephanie was very kind and accommodating and obliging um so yeah enjoy the listen and I'll be back next week Stephanie Preisner, thank you so much for uh, being willing to come back on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I, um, you have a lot of listeners to your podcast. I got a lot of messages the last time from, um, I think, people who learned about me through you or people who knew us both separately. But um, 
you know, had never kind of put the two of us together. So it was great yeah. to have that oh, reaction. That's, yeah, That's great. I want to start by, I mean, you've been through so much since we last spoke. Um, I think when we first recorded, you were maybe pregnant with Rory, but you hadn't shared that news um, yet. So you've you've gone through so much. What date did we record last? I actually can't remember. Um, I must go back and check. Uh, but I definitely know, I didn't know you were pregnant then. And I, I think it was very early days. Um, yes, probably was. But yeah, let me just start by asking, in all sincerity, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay now. <laughs> I'm medicated now. Um, but the first three months were like, I hated my life. Like, obviously, I love my baby, but I don't love the burden of motherhood and the constant duty of care and responding and like anticipating and planning it's all just a lot and I think it's disproportionately on women you know and I have like the best husband in the world and he's like just tell me what to do and I'll do it and I'm like oh, but I have to tell then I have to still think of everything um so it's a lot yeah yeah it's a huge one how old is she now seven months seven months and I just I mean I really appreciate what you shared at the time um, about your experience because I also and we feel it's need to caveat by saying obviously we love our babies like it goes without saying um but I too was was in uh hell really like I did not I don't remember really many days of enjoyment um and there is anxiety in that alone you know like you say the overwhelm of being handed this responsibility everything being on you but then there's the anxiety of why am I reacting to becoming a mother like I I thought I would or like everyone else appears to um appears to appears to and it can be very isolating now I I still I'm still trying to learn that when I say appears to that's what it means because I still I think I still believe that no everyone else did find it easier than you and there's just something wrong with you how do you feel about that now I'm not sure I think that so I I since I've last spoken to you I I, maybe I don't know if it was in the last podcast, but I've been diagnosed with autism. So I'm autistic and that makes a lot of sense for me and and my journey through life. And I think that a, a lot of my struggles with Aurora and with being a mother are to do with the sensory and executive function of my autism profile. So like I haven't been on my own yet with her because I can't um, adjust in the moment. So like if I expect her to sleep for 45 minutes, Mm -hmm. then if she wakes earlier than that, my brain literally can't adjust her, her, her feed time or the schedule because my brain is so my thinking is so fixed Mm -hmm. and I struggle with those things and um you know the way in the first seven months particularly like every week is different they're developing so quickly and I am someone who I infer routine from single action so like if you come to my house once to watch uh, Britain's Got Talent on a Saturday night I will expect that every Saturday night that is what we're going to do now you're going to come to my house we're going to get a takeaway whatever and, and and I have to really work at not expecting behaviours from people consistently because people aren't consistent and they have their own lives but for babies particularly you know I'm like okay so she's wanting to feed at this time this time this time and then the next day it's totally different and I I find that really um kind of intolerable like I can't tolerate the suspense of not knowing what the day is going to bring and my anxiety around that was really really crippling and so now I'm on surgery and I'm on medication for that and I find it much much easier like I feel like before it was just this really heavy anxiety and now it's just worry you know like I have worries everyone has worries they don't stick to me as much they don't um 
kind of catch in my throat. They just kind of are at the back of my head and I can easily distract myself from them. And also, you know, she's seven months now, so she's getting that little bit more predictable. Um, And then you're also just, I mean, finding your feet, autism or no autism, I think for what I learned about the the kind of maternal brain is... um, we a lot of us live so much in our left brain where we have you know logic and like you say expecting certain outcomes and if you if you apply if you do your homework you will get this result and then becoming a mother brings you into your right brain which is really like that kind of just gut reaction rolling with it in the moment um and that is such a shift from the way that we live these days mm-hmm. um, to try to try and just tune into this little being that can't quite communicate um what what it is they want or when it is they want and yeah the unpredictability of it is huge did you did you know or did you were you anxious about how the autism would impact your experience as a parent or did that come as a surprise to you that you found it hard to adjust um I didn't really think about it I was so so I have had five miscarriages and I think I was just so concentrated on the pregnancy and being pregnant and staying pregnant that I didn't really think about what it would be like when she was actually here when I envisioned having a child I think I envisioned having like a toddler who I could communicate with and do things with not having a baby and um I so the pregnancy itself was difficult because you know as an autistic person like there are certain clothing types only that I can wear there are certain you know underwear socks that I wear all the time there's certain foods that I eat textures and all of a sudden like your body just becomes somebody else's and the foods that I usually like I didn't like and I was craving foods that I actually don't like and you know my clothes didn't fit anymore and so I had to get new you know like maternity underwear and that didn't have the same sensation like it was just an absolute nightmare and also the feeling of sort of like something moving inside you is just like very disconcerting so um then when it came to motherhood um it's I think the biggest shock has just been like my time being sucked away from me and it's not as if I want to go and like you know walk around the shopping center and buy things for myself the things that I need to do are like you know lie on the floor on a deep pressure mat lie under a weighted blanket read not speak to anybody not like just be on my own for a little while and those things are like I haven't been on my own basically because as well I was breastfeeding like I haven't been on my own since since she was born so those things are really difficult to adjust to and I think they're difficult to adjust to for everyone but like when you're autistic the impact of not having that is more severe than if you're not even though you might like it it sounds like you you know so much about autism now I mean I guess you've thrown yourself in headfirst to understand like the way you describe it you're you're very clear on why it makes sense that you would have you know have these thoughts and feelings and find it hard to adjust has this is maybe a weird question but has getting the diagnosis of autism helped to quieten the anxiety around social comparison because you have yes a, you have clarity on why you <laughs> I have an excuse yeah like I <laughs> It definitely has, because I just before that, you know, I was thinking like, what's wrong with me? Like, I really want to be I really want to want to socialize, but I don't want to. It's not that I want to and I can't, which I think when people have social anxiety, you know, they really want to go to the party, but they're afraid of who's going to be there, what they're going to think of them, what they might say, what if they mess up. But I just didn't want to. And I um, I remember doing a podcast myself with Harry Barry and we were talking about social anxiety and 
after it, he said to me, you know, these techniques aren't going to work on you because you're, you don't have social anxiety. You're autistic. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, and just that feeling all my life of like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be like other people? Why am I too much? Why am I not enough? All of a sudden it's like, OK, it's just autism. That's all it is. And that's an explanation. And you don't have to try to keep up with people. And I get parents messaging me all the time saying like, oh, my son is autistic, but I don't want the label for him. And I don't want to tell him. And you're like, well, what I say to them is like, if you don't tell him that he's autistic or you don't tell other people that he's autistic, he's going to get another label. Like people are going to think that he's weird or demanding or bold or, you know, a nerd, like whatever label it's going to be. But autism is the thing that, he is and that is that's it that that like that that explains everything and he's and you know that's then then it's the the issue then obviously is that there are services that you need to access and it's difficult for parents to accept that their child is not the child that they thought they would be um and you know that's something that since having a baby I understand much more I think I'm sort of expecting Rory to be autistic because I am and because it's so genetic um, and so I'm already sort of when I see things with her like she finds uh, you know a lot of babies do but like she finds transitions quite difficult and so if we do it really slowly she's much you know so like moving from the car into somebody else's house where there's going to be strange people if I do that all very quickly she has a meltdown but if I do it really really slowly she's absolutely fine and that might just be a baby so I'm just uh taking just assuming that she's like me and dealing with things that way but nothing bad is going to happen if I assume that she needs that little bit more support you know yeah can't remember your original question but it was about the the social comparison kind of almost like letting oh, yeah. yourself off the hook for you know you're, you've stopped trying to just be like everybody else or expecting yourself to I mean to be um neurotypical is the right word yeah but other people have stopped expecting it of me too and that must be quite freeing as yeah. well yeah it's really freeing because I don't have to like explain myself anymore you know I don't have to justify things I'm just you know hey I'm not going to do a phone call with you we're going to do this over email hope that's okay you know, people are like, yeah. all right, OK, fair enough. I'm going to give her that accommodation. Whereas before it's like, oh, you know, like people connect way better on phone mm-hmm. calls. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. And so, yeah, it, it, it helps me explain myself to myself, but also it helps the world understand me. When you say there, you know, that you said you'd send an email back and say, listen, I'm going to do this over email because it works better for me. I feel like and I'm not I'm not an autistic person, but there'd be plenty of times where that's what I would think or feel. But I would be afraid to say, do you think we, we wouldn't allow that of each of, of people who aren't like, should we be more? There's a lot we can learn from autism to be. Yeah, like they're called universal accommodations. Right. Okay. And, and it's just like, you know. For example, we make accommodations for people in wheelchairs, like we have a ramp outside a building, you know, but why don't we just always have a ramp? Because people who aren't in wheelchairs can use a ramp and people who are in wheelchairs can use a ramp. And that's a universal accommodation. Like, let's make all buildings accessible, their main entrance accessible in a wheelchair. That's a universal accommodation. And it means then that people don't have to always, when they have a disability, they don't always have to access a special you know, version of something. Um, and a universal accommodation for autistic people will be to have multiple communication streams for your business. Like allow, like, you know, your GP, please don't make me have to do a phone call. Please allow me to contact by email, you know, and, you know, please, you know, follow up afterwards with my 
prognosis in a in an email so that I can retain the information. And those like there's no there's loads of autistic people who would also benefit from that. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, and, and people say like, oh, we can't we can't do that for everyone because it would take so much effort and energy. But it's like, remember when the pandemic started and none of us knew what was happening mm-hmm. and none of us knew what COVID was or what we needed to do. And the government all of a sudden like overnight there were signs everywhere yellow signs saying stand here a little picture story of how to wear a mask put it over your whole face not under your nose and it was all there in stories even if you couldn't read English and it was like the sign saying this is two meters to show people like so when all the world neurotypical people needed a social story and needed things broken down very simply oh then it was possible but when it's something that a minority of people need it seems like it's an outrageous thing to ask but that was a perfect example of when everybody needed an accommodation that autistic people need all the time just can you make this very basic for me can you tell me exactly what's expected of me where I need to stand what I need to do and why and 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 the world really needed that and we got it and it allowed us to social distance and, you know, you know, flatten the curve or whatever that aim was. Yeah. So if you think about situations where you don't understand why an autistic person might need something, think back to that COVID time when we all needed those supports. And that's kind of what it's like for autistic people very often, because there is an assumption that everyone knows you know, everyone knows how to behave when they go into a church. Everyone knows how to behave when they go into a theatre. Everyone knows how to behave in a restaurant. That's that's a very ableist assumption because those are things that you have to, those are unwritten rules that you learn by picking up, by watching other people and learning from your environment. And people who are autistic don't learn like that. And they need things to be explicitly stated for them. And then it's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was another bit of a rant there. No, I, I appreciate it. Um, sticking with autism, um, I have shared so much of um my experience with Kaylin. He's I, I haven't gone down any assessment route yet, uh, because he's still maybe just a little bit young. Like I was looking into like play therapy and stuff, and I think he's he's it's not till he's three that they might work with with kids. Um, but I in sharing everything that I do, I get a lot of non-experts saying, Oh, he I think he's autistic or he seems autistic and um all of these opinions now and I know like if if I share it I'm gonna I'm gonna get it um and being honest it it did send me on a spiral of of anxiety of of worry for him and I think I'm guilty of this fear of of autism or being um neurodiverse for him and I suppose I've been kind of curious about the fear the societal fear of of this Mm -hmm. and for me it's like I just don't want him to have a difficult experience I don't want him I I got anxious about how much support he might need if that was the case um you know and then if I say no I don't think he is autistic or I'm not sure if he is it's almost like you don't want to offend by saying I there's nothing wrong if he is autistic there's no it's not a bad thing to be autistic but there's still a fear of that as a parent absolutely and I think that there I've seen a lot of um I don't know if you saw yesterday a very, very lovely and useful psychologist who is on Instagram has shut down her page because she's called a highly sensitive psychologist. And she was getting a lot of um, abuse, basically, from people who are saying you're not highly sensitive, you're autistic or you are making high sensitivity more palatable than autism. And and one, like it's just not acceptable to treat people with cruelty or to target people online but there is um there is a sort of a trend of high sensitivity being 
a more acceptable thing for a parent to think that their child is because it's sort of I don't know it means like oh he's highly sensitive so that means I just need to mind him and I and I and I need to you know keep him wrapped up because he's so sensitive to the world and it's kind of it's a more popular and acceptable social thing to be highly sensitive than than to be autistic because high sensitivity doesn't sound like a medical diagnosis it sounds more like a character description you know and I totally get that the thing is that like if Kaylin is autistic he's autistic whether or not you get him diagnosed you know it doesn't like he he's he just is or he's highly sensitive depending on like whether or not you get him diagnosed he is who he is and you know I don't I'm not a psychologist I can't diagnose people I don't know Kaylin and I don't I like I couldn't even diagnose it in myself right so who am I to talk but I I get a lot that parents are afraid of the diagnosis what that means for their child what that means for their support but actually they're going to need the support whether or not they're diagnosed you know like I remember the first time I, I was out for dinner with my grandmother when I was about 25 and we were I was looking at the menu and I was squinting and she was like god you you can't see that menu and I was like no I it's just very small and she was like you should be able to read that next time I go to the optician I'm going to bring you so we went and I had my eyes tested 26 years old and the optician was like please tell me you don't drive I was like, I do. I've been driving since I was 18. She was like, you absolutely shouldn't drive with this prescription. Like, you definitely need glasses. So I got my glasses anyway and I came outside and and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you can see the individual leaves on a tree. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, it's it's sort of the same thing. It's like I always needed the glasses. Like, if you thought that you're if, if you thought Kayla needed glasses and couldn't see, like, would you would you? you know, push out getting his eyes tested because mm-hmm. at least then he'll have the support that he needs. And it's the exact same thing. The issue is that with autism, it's such a broad spectrum. Mm. And the word autism does absolutely no favours for the autistic community because it's so broad. So on one hand, it, with with the same diagnosis, you have me, who is someone who has very low support needs most of the time and who can communicate with you and who can talk and who can force herself to make eye contact and I can pass as non-autistic if I need to at great cost to me but I can and then at the other end of the spectrum you have you know um children who have um a co-occurring intellectual disability who may be non-speaking who have difficulty making eye contact who have very intense special interests that they can't really be interested in anything outside of that and they're both called autistic which does nothing because there will be people listening to this who maybe have autistic children who have a totally different autistic profile to me and they will be angry saying like you don't represent my child and you are making autism sound like some sort of superpower and I can't get my child to go to the toilet by themselves and I can't get my child to eat anything other than one particular type of cracker and my child can't speak to me and I don't know what's wrong with them when they're sick and I understand that frustration it is infuriating that we have the same diagnosis but I am not you know the DSM-5 is the manual that is used to diagnose autism and it's it's made by a load of doctors and autism used to be subcategorized so they used to be Asperger's, you know, um, they used to use functioning labels, so high functioning and low functioning, but those are like really offensive terms now. And anyway, so there was a lot of different profiles, but they changed that in the DSM-5, which is the current version, to just autism. And I can understand why people are so frustrated. Um, and then 
with the high sensitivity piece, I understand why parents are, why some parents of autistic young people might be annoyed that a child that is presenting the exact same as their child they think because you only get a tiny snippet of somebody's life in social media and one child is called highly sensitive and the other is called autistic because it's sort of there's an underlying assumption that like high that autism is a bad thing and I don't want my child to have that so I'm going to go with this diagnosis and that leaves that parent who has the autistic child feeling like there's something wrong with their child so it's just an absolute minefield and social media is sort of like on one hand it's great for spreading information and on the other hand it's so broad you can't get anything nuanced in in you know so people start breaking things down and showing about you know showing psychological um psychological diagnoses through you know pouring water into cups and stuff and it's overly simplified and that's what leads to I think the the trolls and the keyboard warriors forgetting that there are humans behind these accounts um I guess to finish up on that point like Kaylin is what Kaylin is and he's absolutely perfect and you know you are I I only see on social media but like you seem to be doing an incredible job of very gently supporting him in all he needs and not pushing him to be you know like if he's autistic or if he's highly sensitive what you're doing won't change and it shouldn't change because what you're doing is it like just seems really gentle and loving and you know you're taking your time you're not forcing him even though people are telling you like oh just let him cry it out he'll be grand you know in your heart that he's not going to be grand and there's no need for him to be crying when you can adjust your life at a huge cost to yourself but it doesn't really matter what his diagnosis is he's he's you're doing an amazing job from what i can see say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, you mentioned there, uh, you just touched on the the highly functioning word. Um, yeah. Low functioning. And I remember seeing your posts about this and it was really informative to me because maybe not in um, when it comes to autism, but I, I've certainly hear all the time, like high, highly functioning, high functioning anxiety, which I think just describes a human being, because I think we are all capable of of functioning with anxiety, if that's what it means. Um, but I am I, I really wanted to chat with you about this and I I'm, I'm of course anxious to chat about it because I'm I'm learning all the time as we all are and I'm afraid to say the wrong thing and um, but there is this anxiety lately that I think a lot of people can experience of putting their foot in it saying something that was maybe acceptable to say a while ago or that we didn't mm-hmm. haven't learned yet is maybe offensive like high functioning do you get that anxiety around saying the wrong thing Absolutely, yeah. Not really with autism because as an autistic person, there's you get this sort of, you know, you can just say like, well, I'm an autistic person and I'm okay with saying this. So there's this like carte blanche, which I think is actually part of the problem of the anxiety of not the non-autistic community and speaking about it. But say like, I have the exact same thing when I'm talking about trans people yes. or trans rights or people of colour or black people. I still don't even know because some people want to be, some people are like, I'm black. That is who I am. Stop calling me a person of colour because white is also a colour, you know? Mm-hmm. And then other people, if you call them, you know, black or you describe them like that, they get very insulted. I'm a person of colour. You know, we all are afraid. And because we live in a society where, like, you can literally get cancelled. Like, I, my whole career could be gone because I say something that somebody is offended by. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And that's why I educate people on my platform. I don't care if you say person with autism or autistic person. Like, if you're talking about it and you're being you're looking for information and you're trying to help, then I'm not going to shame you for the language you make. If you're being a mean person and like you're just being cruel, then I'm going to call it out. But like, I'm not going to call you out for the language, for like the phrase that you use. If you're being malicious, I'm going to, you know, attack the idea, not the person. Um, and the reason that it's so difficult in the autistic community is because um, different people want different things so person first identity is is a new thing where people want to be seen ahead of their disability right so you wouldn't say um or like so the, like a wheelchair user rather than or like person in a wheelchair or a wheelchair user a uh, disabled person person with a disability so the UNCRPD, which is the UN Convention for the Rights of Peoples with Disability, said that person-first language is better for people with disabilities because it doesn't allow them to be defined by their disability. Okay. And then you get to autism, right? So person with autism. Autism is not a disability, is what autistic people think. It's a neurotype. So it's a type of brain. It's not a disability. It's not something that's wrong with us. It's not, um, it's not a, well, it, 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 it is genetic, but it's not, people are trying to stop it from being seen as, as a disability. 
they're trying to get it seen as a neurotype, something that is affirmative, that, you know, we like some of the best people in the world are autistic and there's nothing Would wrong with you. Would you say it's not, it's not a condition? No, it's not a condition. Okay. But then, but then, right, so then there are some parents who say, hang on, my child is a, is, is, is a child with autism. I don't want them seen as an autistic child because it's only part of them. But the autistic community would say, I'm autistic. It's like saying a person with Judaism. It's like mm-hmm. saying a person with gayness, a person with blackness. No, I am an autistic person. I can't remove that from myself. I was never not a person with autism. It has, it's not something I acquired after a car crash. So please stop saying, because when you say a person with autism and you say it's not all of who you are, there's an underlying assumption there that this is something bad. Yes. That I don't want to see you as just the autism because that's a bad thing. Whereas autistic people say, see me as an autistic. See, like everything I do is autistic. The way I sleep, the way I get up, the way I dress, the way I shop, the way I text you. I am an autistic person. Stop saying I'm a person with autism because it makes me think that you think that's a bad thing. Mm. So it's the same as a Jewish person or, you know, a gay person. So it's not a person with cancer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that but but that's identity first language. It's not person first language. And it goes against the sort of person first disability model. And, and how would I you, could, out of curiosity, how would you identify yourself? I identify myself as an autistic person because everything I do is autistic. But some people say this is Stephanie. She's a writer with autism. Grant, I'm not going to if you're introducing me at a conference, I'm absolutely not going to call you out there because you're trying your best and we're all learning. And like, whether you call me a person with autism or an autistic person, it doesn't change who I am. So I'm okay with it. And I will, I don't get offended by people making mistakes because I make mistakes all the time. Particularly like I work in theatre and there's a lot of gender non-binary people. I work in TV. I get emails with people's pronouns in them and it's an absolute mind. I'm so terrified of misgendering someone that I totally get how people like when they start to, to talk about autism, that they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing but like if you're genuinely in the pursuit of knowledge and you're of good faith you're having this conversation in good faith just say whatever you want and we'll work it out you know I think you're very um accommodating to people I mean you really take time to break it down with people on online and share that on and like you know people I, I can see the dms you're getting people saying like I I don't see why saying highly functioning is a problem, but I'm willing to let you explain to me why it might be. And that's that's a really you've created a really safe space for people. Um, but I suppose it's the fear of just saying something off the cuff and it being taken out of context and mm-hmm. you know put upon you as your belief and the way you think. Um, it's it's scary. It's a scary time to put your thoughts out there and um, your opinions. But what do you? And think- it also seems to be like that you just can't ever come back from that. Like you can't yeah. rehabilitate your reputation, even though you said, I just think that's so unfair. And I'll never like I do. It is a totally safe space because if you start shaming people for using language, they'll stop using the language and then people will just stop talking about autism because they're afraid mm-hmm. to. Like we don't see a lot of conversation about trans rights. We don't because because people are too afraid to have the conversation in case they say the wrong thing. And nothing good happens in silence. And it's also there's a fear of saying things that you aren't personally experiencing or commenting on things that you aren't, you know, actually going through yourself because like, well, what right have you got to comment on something? So that's a huge thing in the disability space as well. Yeah. Like my lived experience is more important than your PhD. (laughs) It's like, sorry, it's not true. Like, I don't know everything about autism. I'm autistic. I know about my experience, but I can't speak to anybody else's experience. And 
I certainly wouldn't say that I am more of an expert than a non-autistic psychologist who has a PhD in autism, you know, because they've actually studied it. But we've moved into a world now. I think Donald Trump has a lot to do with it, where like lived experience is the trump card to use a pun you know it's like you're not allowed to talk to anyone or talk about something that you haven't got lived experience of and that's so dangerous i think so too and when i was very um honored to fill in for your column when you were on your mat leave um with life mag and i was just trying to think what can i talk about that i've experienced i i don't i didn't want to dare comment on things that were happening outside of my own day to day and it's quite it's it's quite limiting and then it makes you feel like god I'm only only, I'm only comfortable talking about myself then um which isn't good either because then we're not then I yeah you end up in a bit of a vacuum where you're not really learning Mm -hmm. um, outside of yourself um so you are you're back with your column now and yesterday's one was um I'm sure you got a lot of feedback for that one it was a really important column and and I guess it's like a natural follow on from what we were just discussing. You know, we we're talking about the fear of of saying the wrong thing or misgendering someone or or making it out like autism is a bad thing or all of what we just discussed. Um, something that I think is new to the fear is the fear of complimenting someone <laughs> on their appearance. Um, yeah. This is another thing where I'm just thinking, like I was reading your column being like, oh my God, you know, and on, I'm really, I really appreciate it, but like, who have I spoke, spoken to recently or met where I've said, oh, you look great or like commented on their, their baby being gorgeous and then thinking, hang on, is that problematic? Um, so there's two things to this, which I want to talk about. There's the anxiety around the, um, entering this space now where we realize, hang on, maybe that's not, maybe that's not okay to do, but also your experience as someone who has been on the receiving end of this, you actually mm-hmm. have been through the anxiety of, around your your personal appearance um so let's start let's start there I mean has that always been a a, um a difficulty for you anxiety around your image like not really no so I was um I grew up like at my teenage years and early 20s I was in a much larger body and then I and I never really thought about it and then um I decided one January not January 1st, like January 16th, I was like, I'm just going to try and lose all this weight. I don't know where the thought came from. I just saw myself in the mirror one time and I wasn't happy with what I saw. And it was the first time that I kind of saw myself, maybe how other people see me. And I started losing weight. Um, And I'm not going to talk about how I did it because I don't want to trigger anybody or make people. And so I lost probably about six stone of that in a normal, healthy way. And then I was getting so many compliments on the weight loss that I got addicted to it. And obviously your body kind of, when you're eating in a healthy, balanced diet, your body settles into a weight that you're naturally meant to be. So like if everybody in the world ate the same food all day, every day, and did the same exercise all day, every day, we would still be different shapes because that's how the world works. Um, so I was kind of naturally sitting at, at a certain weight. And then I decided I was going to lose more weight. And I did that in a really unhealthy way which involved, you know, a mixture of anorexia and bulimia. And uh, I dropped another five stone below the six that I'd already lost. So I was now at 11 stone body, uh, 11 stone loss. And, um, you know, my hair was falling out and my teeth were breaking from bulimia. My um, 
like I was constantly freezing. My I hadn't had a period in three years. Doctors were telling me, some doctors were praising me on the weight loss and other doctors were saying like, look, if you want to get your period back, you're going to have to lose, you're going to have to gain weight. And I was like, absolutely not, not willing to do that. Meanwhile, everybody in the world was praising me for how I looked. The attention was like addictive and also kind of toxic, but I was addicted to it. And I just got this message constantly like you are more valuable to mm. us when you look like this, even though the way what you have to do to your body to stay looking like this is killing you. But just keep doing it because we love you. And so um, eventually with a lot of after three and a half years of being like that, I uh, I said to the endocrinologist, yes, I'm willing to gain weight to get my period back. And she gave me a book, which was called No Period, Now What? And I started following that and doing a lot of therapy and rehabilitating myself out of the eating disorder. And um, then because I've had five miscarriages, I've actually been pregnant pretty consistently since 2020. And that uh, I also did two rounds of IVF, which failed. And so all those drugs and all that fertility stuff really changes your body. Like maybe not gaining weight. I don't weigh myself anymore, but like definitely changing the fat distribution of your body because, you know, like your uterus, your hips, your thighs, all that thing, those cells need fat to, to basically keep a baby alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so my body has changed so much and my fear that like I'm not as valuable to the world in my current body is is it's is huge and my anxiety around that meeting people I haven't seen since I got my period back since my body has changed because I have I have experience now that it's not what's on the inside that counts you do get complimented for how you look in spite of the psychotic behavior that you are doing to maintain that body weight um and I just look at my child now and I'm thinking like how can I how can I make the world a little bit softer how can I allow her like, is there a way that I can stop society from making her what I am, from from making her feel like her perfect little self yeah. needs to be carved up? Do you think that the nurture, how we've all been nurtured over generations, has almost become nature? It's something we look in the mirror now, and even though we know logically do not see yourself as being less of value if you've got a bit of cellulite or anything, it's kind of leaked into our DNA to think that we are, to believe that we are more of value or to believe that better image means more success, more love, more value. I don't think so because there are so many people for whom that's not true. Like there are so many people who manage to avoid it. Now, maybe they are culturally different, um, mm-hmm. but if it had seeped into becoming our nature, we wouldn't be able to fight it, I think, but we can fight it by, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work and courage to, and effort, you know, like I try to never comment on how somebody looks when I see them. I don't say you're looking great. I don't comment on what they're wearing, how they look. If it's something that they can't change in five seconds, I'm not going to comment on it. So mm-hmm. I might comment and say, oh, you have something between your teeth because they can, they can fix that within five seconds. If I'm not going to comment on what they're wearing unless they're standing in front of their own wardrobe and I'm not going to comment on, you know, if you have a piece of hair in, you know, that's like fly away, I might comment on that because it's fixable. I'm not going to comment on anything else, the color of your hair, if you've had a massive change. I also tend to not notice those things. Um, I've all like I've not noticed that people were like 
you know, five months pregnant when I've met them because I, I don't kind of take in images like that. Yeah. But I'll say things like, it's so good to see you or um, I've been thinking a lot about you or I haven't texted you in ages. You know, I'll comment on them and how they're doing, not how they look. It's like literally the least interesting part about a person anyway. And I will try to do that with my daughter as well. But then it's so hard. Like, it's so hard. Yesterday, somebody sent us some little mini bows you know, like hair bows. So I put a clip in her hair mm. and then I was like, but sure, how can I not comment on how she looks now? Because I've literally just made an adjustment to her appearance. Yeah. So, you know, am I going to say like, oh, you're so cute or you look. So what I ended up saying was like, you look so happy with your bow on. So I'm still trying not to comment on how she looks, but I'm commenting that like I'm smiling and saying, you look so happy. Now she's seven months, so she probably doesn't understand what I'm saying anyway. But yeah. it's I'm trying to I'm trying to do it so that I get into the habit of it and I mean that's just it seems like it's it's those daily things like just stopping and thinking how do I want to speak here I mean we're so far from the vast majority of people getting there but do you think that's what it's going to take I think so course of years for 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 the likes of Rory to grow up and not look in the mirror and see see that first well like I can only try but like once she's old enough to be outside of the house and other people are commenting on her and she's in crash and she sees that some other girl gets a lot of compliments when she wears a princess dress. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm not fully responsible for how she is going to be in the world. I can only just say, well, look, I'm trying my best to let her know that it, I don't care what she looks like. Yeah. Um, and, and what about people who would say, I what's you know what's the harm in me if I meet my friend and she's just had a baby and I'm like oh my god you look amazing like whether it's she looks fresh or rested and they might think that that one comment in isolation is is just being kind and, and encouraging someone what would you say to them is well why is this actually problematic on a bigger scale because it shows that person and it shows the world that you notice how people look mm-hmm. and you are commenting on the positive so on a day when you when that person doesn't look fresh or doesn't look um, you know, it doesn't look how you perceive them to be, com- you know, um, complimentary, then, then that affects their self-esteem. So now when people comment on how I look, I try to like, ira- I try to undo it. I try to say like, okay, no, because if I derive self-esteem from how you perceive me and the compliments that I get, I have to reconcile the fact that when I don't get those same comments, my self-esteem is going to hit like if I'm coming to you to fill up my self-esteem cup because you're going to comment on my appearance then then I'm not in I'm not the center force of my own self-esteem and that's really really dangerous and so yeah like an innocuous comment about somebody's appearance it's like when people say like oh Donald Trump is such a fat mess you know and they tweet out this and they Instagram this and everyone laughs Donald Trump is not going to see that, right? But all of your friends who have the same body type or the same body weight as Donald Trump are seeing that and are seeing, okay, so Caroline thinks that this body type is disgusting. I have this body type. She must think that about me, but she's not saying it because I'm her friend. And so any commentary on anybody's body, no matter how, like Kim Jong-il, however grotesque the person is as a person, we shouldn't be commenting on their body type because people absorb that message about themselves and then do you derive any you know I, I certainly feel more confident when I go and put makeup on or I get my hair done like how do you feel about those kind of things like putting on makeup or get you know you, I know you got your fringe cut a while ago 
when you share those things and people say, oh, I look, that's a lovely cut. Does it make you feel good when you look in the mirror and you like yeah. what you see or do you catch that? Yeah, so I, I, I do kind of separate hair and body. For me, hair is something that you can change. It grows, it adapts. It's not something that you have to put yourself on some crazy regimen to you're sort of like powerless over your hair color and your hair length until time passes. Do you know what I mean? So of course I'm a human being. Like when I, I don't like the feeling of makeup, so I don't wear it a lot, but I wear it when I have to do television work or photo shoot or something like that. And I can like makeup works, you know, that's why drag queens use it. it and it's, it's a lie. Like you are painting a different face onto your own face. And of course you end up looking what society has cultivated us to learn is is amazing. So of course I feel great when somebody else does my makeup and I have a fresh blow dry because those are that's time and effort that I don't put into my appearance on a day-to-day basis. So I just look like how I look, but I'm aware of when I do those things that like that's not how I actually look. Like these are amazing tools and and they can make you look a certain way to give you that little bit of confidence. But you know, these makeup art, like when I do television work, I'd rather not wear makeup and just show up how I am. But there's t- there's makeup people in the studio, like you can't go under TV lights without makeup on. Um, and so I don't really, I don't see the same issue as hair and makeup. And if I see someone, I might say, oh, your makeup is lovely. But I'm still not commenting on them as a person and how they look. Does that make sense? You know, yeah. like you, I, I do comment on, oh, that's a really nice jacket or your shoes are fab. But I, I don't like that's only if I genuinely think somebody's runners are pretty cool like where yeah. did you get those kicks but I, I don't comment on on people's on how they look do you think we'll get to a place where the majority of people will know not to comment on how people look no yeah. no not with the media the way it is not with the magazines and the you know and the beauty culture like we can't as humans we can't fight the trillion dollar industry that is the beauty industry we just can't mm-hmm. and because what happens then is we read those magazines, we see those Instagram influencers talking about their tan or whatever. And then we we try the thing and we only know that the thing works when someone comments on it. And it's a vicious cycle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't, I don't think that we will. Like my little corner of the world hopefully will because I keep talking about it and telling people, please don't comment on how she looks. Um, but, but I don't think the world is ever going to get there. The beauty industry is too strong. I think what's necessary what would to me seem necessary in between where what we what needs to happen in getting there is letting go of this defensiveness around you know like I think it's such a natural thing to be like oh like why can't I tell my friend she looks gorgeous or something that and that I would react probably would have reacted that way myself but to be like okay hold that defensiveness and just hold space for why maybe a different approach is better um and not just being offended personally because what you said has you know being offended by what you've said being offensive if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but I think that's the thing that's I think in in order to make any strides in mental health what needs to be done is we have to accept that other people have a different experience to us and -hmm. if you don't see it and you don't believe it that's fine but you have to accept that your lived experience is not the only one. And if someone tells you that it's offensive for you to tell them they look great, you have to believe that. And that's really, really difficult. That's difficult for me because, you know, that means that like the far right groups who feel like X, Y and Z is threatening their existence. We have to accept that that is what they believe. And that doesn't mean that we have to believe it. But in order for these arguments to stop and for us to move forward, we have to accept that other people have experiences that are different to ours, even if we can't imagine it. 
Yeah, it's I did an interview recently um, with Dr. Leah Katz and it's about like the the cornerstone of good communication is this like acceptance of dual realities, mm-hmm. um, which is so it's so true. But I think it, it takes like an emotional intelligence um, and a lack of ego to get there as well, which uh, yeah, is is necessary. Before we wrap up, um, I I originally I mean, there's so many, so many things that we could talk about. You're you're so eloquent on so many different topics, but I know people will really um, appreciate hearing you talk about on what we originally said we would talk about was the kind of anxiety and fertility. And I get a lot of messages from people um, saying they'd love me to focus a little bit more in the podcast on the anxiety of of, you know, whether it's miscarriage or going through fertility treatment. And, and again, it's something I haven't touched on too much because I didn't experience it myself. Um, but people really are asking for, and I'm curious, you know, with everything that you went through, did you come up with anything that helped make the anxiety of that weight and wonder and fear and worry any easier to, to handle? It's like, you know, the antidote to anxiety is action. And when you're trying to conceive and you have infertility, it's the most powerless you're ever going to be. Like you literally, so I tried every action helped me which is why I did two rounds of IVF. I felt like I have to do something mm-hmm. to, to like do this. And I, I understand that like I was in a financial position where I could just like randomly do two rounds of IVF, even though they didn't work, you know, and that is a privileged position to be in. Um, so I went deep into the like ovulation test strips, peeing on a stick every day, taking my temperature every day, um, trying to track my ovulation and getting the right time, seeing a lot of doctors Um what I couldn't tolerate was just sitting and waiting for the next period. Um, and then to tolerate the anxiety when I did get pregnant, I saw the perinatal mental health team in the maternity hospital. And I'm still, they see, they're still seeing me postpartum because of the medication that I'm on. Um, and they kind of, and then the bereavement team were amazing through the five miscarriages, but it just, I, it just became my full-time thing. Uh, it's obs- like the obsession. I found the anxiety overwhelmed me when I when I didn't know what I could do next. So things like the two week wait. So after you've had sex, you've ovulated and you're waiting those two weeks for the pregnancy test. That was excruciating because that was like literally I had, there was nothing I could do except wait. And I was like, you know, trying to track symptoms. But the symptoms of early pregnancy are very sim- similar to the symptoms of period. So I didn't you know I found those two weeks really difficult the only thing that I found helped was was action was taking action talking to people there was about two or three people who were who knew the journey that I was on and I would talk to them about the stage that I was at reading things online um but I couldn't find anything else that distracted me which is probably not what you want to hear or your listeners want to hear but it's, no I it's, think it's, it's very I difficult. think it's really true I think it you know trying to find ways you can take action in, in some small way, whether it's to equip yourself with information or talk to someone um, who can help you move, move as you move through it. Um, because I think the nature of anxiety, you know, when we feel this threat and we want to fight or flight and when you're in, you can't fight it or flight it, you know, when you're just waiting, waiting for the weeks to pass to see if something's happened. Um, and it's very hard to sit there. And then I imagine with that anxiety in your body, because you're in in terms of nature, it wants to do something with it. It wants to get mm-hmm. rid of it or fight it. or um, So that makes complete sense. And I think it's really um, wonderful that you took that action too. I mean, because I think a lot of people think, oh, what's, you know, what's the point in talking to someone through this? They can't change it. Um, but you say- It gives that- you something to do. Yeah. I'll finish just on this point. People say that like anxiety doesn't help you get pregnant, you know, like just relax and yeah. like it'll happen. It's not happening because you're so anxious. 
if that was possible, we would never have had to repeal the eighth. Like yeah. if it was possible to fail, like to make your pregnancy fail because you were anxious, people would never have had to travel to the UK for abortions. It's not possible. You cannot manifest a pregnancy, nor can you destroy a pregnancy by being anxious. So at least let yourself off the hook for that. I couldn't agree more. I think it's just one of one of the worst things you could be told um, if you're going through that is to just relax. Um, so useless. like Stephanie, thank you so much. Um, Thanks so much, Caroline. I really appreciate, I feel like, uh, and I hope that my, my questioning has been okay. Um, like I say, I, I, there are things because I'm, I'm anxious to say that, that I'll say the wrong thing, but I really appreciate you helping me kind of break down a lot of these, um, these minefield areas and, and educating me a bit more on um, autism and um, sharing your journey with me around getting to be a mother. Um, and I, yeah, I massively appreciate uh, what you've shared since becoming a mother. And I know I'm sure it's helping so many people to feel less alone that they haven't loved every minute or aren't in a blissful love bubble. Um, so thank you and best of luck with everything that's to come. Thank you. And thanks so much for being so earnest and for like, in spite of your anxiety for having these conversations. I think anybody who criticizes you for saying the wrong thing really misses the point that you are trying so hard all the time to like do good so thanks so much for having me on Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.